he went to drive around the community for just a little bit. So he's going to run a couple of errands. And, uh, but uh, I, I'm given the, uh, not only the, the Christmas decorations, but uh, we got the Marty McFly clock tower thing going on. And I was waiting for DeLorean to come by, you know, the courthouse. And it's like, you guys are awesome, you know. So uh, that, was, that was pretty cool. So I guess you can just stand here and wait for a
your day is going to be going down the tubes. You're going to have the worst day of your life if you read the word. And that's what people say. But what does God say? Blessed is Makarios in the Greek, which means not just here's the prosperous, but here's the prosperous man. So blessed is one who what? Who reads the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and who take to heart what is written in it. Why? Because the time is near. So here we see God says not once, not twice, but we've got a threefold blessing if you read this in life. All of these words give us, but there's something about Bible prophecy that God says, I'm going to bless your shop shop. It says it right there. If you read it, if you hear it, and you take it to heart, three things right there. God says, I'm going to bless you. You're going to become spiritually prosperous. You're going to have so much joy, people are going to have to slap it off your face. It's going to annoy them. Who wants to have joy in your walk with Christ? You want to be blessed in your walk with Christ? What do you do? Read Bible prophecy. Certainly all of God's word, but there's something about Bible prophecy. That's what God said. He didn't say, I'm going to torture you with that. I'm going to bless you with that. And technically, that's three. If you go to the back of Revelation 22, there's actually another blessing. So here's the point. Here's the point. I'm not making it up. If you want to be blessed in your walk with God, raise your hand. Then according to God, what you say you need to do? Prophecy. I'm telling you, folks, this person is going to rip off the world. No wonder they're not blessed. No wonder they walk around, I'm a Christian, right? They sing that song, I got the joy, 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 down in my heart. And then you wonder why you got the next line. Where? Yes, I don't see it in you. <laughs> right? You look like you're dying. Because, I'm a Christian. So don't you want to be a Christian too like me? No, I don't. Right? Looks like your diet consists of sour lemons, pickles, and prunes. It sells on your head. That's not a good advertisement. Right? Why? Because our mindset is on this world. The Bible says, put your mind on things above and on this earth. Right? And Bible prophecies we're going to see reminds you of what Christ has won for us. I'm telling you, folks, it's not just being uh, rescued from hell. Praise God for that. There's so much more than that. The inheritance that Christ has won for us. But the church today doesn't want to tell you with a 10 foot pole. And you think, well, why? Why do people say, don't make me hear this? Or they come to your service and you're preaching prophecy. I didn't come here to listen to this. Don't, that's freaking me out. Don't, I, I didn't come here to be scared. And what's your faith? Again, doom and gloom. So what's the one book on the whole planet that we do not want people to be into? It rhymes with the Bible, so there's your hook on my name. Okay? But specifically, what does he want them to stay away from in the Bible? Bible prophecy. Why? Because Bible prophecy, the Bible is the only book on the planet that spells out in minute detail what he's up to. Get it? So he's specifying the church that, oh no, don't study Bible prophecy. That's doom and gloom. And God says, I'll bless you that way. So number one, I think it's good to work with. Number two, I think the churches and the pastors who refuse to teach on it, whether they realize it or not, they're actually fulfilling prophecy in a negative way. They are a part of the problem, not the solution, right? And this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, okay, verse 3 through 4. For a time will come, Paul says, when men will what? They ain't going to put up a sound doctrine. Eschatology is a doctrine, the study of the last things, okay? And you know what they're going to do? Because you've got to keep the show going, right? Instead, to suit their own desires, they're going to gather around them in a great number of teachers to say what the itching ears want to hear, and they're going to turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside the myth. As we just dealt with in the Q&A uh, earlier, if you were there, we saw that the Greek word there for tickling the ears is kineto, which means only pleasant things, 
and myths is mythos, which means stories made up. So Paul tells us, don't just look at the wars and the rumors of wars and the famines and the pestilence and the, the Jewish people and the Middle East conflicts and the Gazaga and Magog war potentiality and all that stuff as a sign you're living the last days. What do you do? Look at the church. And he's basically saying, when all you get from the church during that day, when all you get from the pulpit is only pleasant things and a bunch of stories made up, guess what? You're in the last days. And guess what? You subscribe. 95% of the so-called American church. The reason why the so-called shepherds, Sunday school teachers, individual Christians say, I won't teach Bible prophecy is because they're fulfilling prophecy in a negative way. They're a part of the apostate church. And I'll say this because I'm a pastor. I are one. Guess what? How can you be a faithful shepherd when you skip one-third of the Bible? You are supposed to teach the whole counsel of God, not some of it. And you need to get your heart right with God. Stop doing what the Scripture calls a hireling. When troubles come, when the church needs you the most, you just run for self-preservation. Let me share this. One of the ladies that started coming to our church over this COVID issue, and uh, we opened up our doors as soon as President Trump said, okay, it's okay, it's okay, that's good enough for me. And so it's been that way ever since. You know where I'm at right now, you don't whatever. And, and we're getting a lot of people come over to us because there's still churches in Vegas. I'm just saying, hey, that's cool. In fact, the churches in Vegas were closing before the government came to Monday. But we're getting this lady come over, and she said, she said, Pastor Bill, she says, I just want to thank you uh, for not just being open, but preaching in God's Word and truth and gospel and all that stuff. She says, but I want you to know I started coming over here uh, because my last straw at the church that I went to before was I just happened to randomly be buying, driving by, the church that closed its doors, okay, and I just happened to be driving by my pastor's People in the apostate will probably come and say, oh, that's good news when that's horrible. It's confusing. When God says, I will give you a triple blessing, he really means it. And I want to bring that out to faith. So let's take a look and see why, in fact, when you study prophecy, you will not just see once but twice but triple once. Okay? And the first reason why is because when you study prophecy, guess what? It reminds me that I'm going to the 13th aisle of Walmart. Because when the rapture happens, that's where we go. No, it's not. It's way better than that. Right? Where do we go? When we rapture, where do we go? We go to heaven. Last time I checked, it's way better than Walmart. Yes, there's lower prices every day, but that's way better than it. Okay? But let's take a look at that passage of the new heavens and the new earth. And just take a look at that. What, what's it going to be like? Uh, existing with God forever. Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Oh, by the way, where am I getting this from? Revelation. Alright? 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there's no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Listen, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Now that's amazing. Think about that. God's got our existence so decked out in such a bridal dress. And we all know that the ladies, when you got married, they say, oh, you know, let me go get the dress. I'm not going to spend no money on no dress. I'm just going to go out back and get some potato sacks. I'm going to stitch them together. I'm going to make me one out of burlap. That's good enough. Is that what you did? <laughs> no, you didn't. What you did? You had to spend the bucks to get the right dress, all decked out, all these gems and jewels. That's what God says I'm going to do. Oh, He has spared no expense, man. It's going to be awesome, right? Uh, and then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, "Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. They will be His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God. He 
will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There's not going to be any more death or mourning or crying or pain. Why? Because the old order of things has passed away. Well, it's according to God's Word. The Bible says our heavenly existence with God is, again, going to be a place that He specifically has prepared for us. This is being found in John 14 when He says, I'm going back to the Father's now. I'm going to build the place. When I'm done with that bridal chamber that we bought in the Jewish uh, testimony, He's coming back to get us. It's going to be awesome. It's decked out like a bridal dress. And that's the tip of the iceberg. It's not just the surroundings, folks. It's that when the rapture happens, guess what we get? Bang! Instantly, we buy it. But man, what's it going to be like having a new body in heaven? Well, three people found out one day. One day there was this 85-year-old couple. And they've been married for almost 50 years, right? And, and, but suddenly, unfortunately, they got in a car accident. But they've been in good health, right? About the last 10 years of their life, mainly to, you know, the health boosts. And so when they reached the pearly gates, they see their existence as you know, mansion. And it was decked out with beautiful kitchens and nature beds. You can see the and the old man asked Peter, well, how much is this going to cost? And Peter said, well, it's free. It's free to have it. And so next they go out to survey the championship golf course that the home was backed up to. And, and, and they learned that they would have golfing privileges every day. And each week the course would change to a new one that represented one of the, the great golf courses back on earth. And so the old man goes to Peter and says, well, how much are the greens to Peter says, well, this is heaven. The place is free. Well, next they go out to a, a clubhouse and see this lavish buffet, right, uh, with all the cuisines all around the world, all laid out before them. And so the old man, Peter, says, well, how much does it cost to me? And Peter just gets a little bit exasperated by the arm. He says, well, don't you get it? This is heaven. This is just free. And so the old man, he, he asks timidly, he goes, well, where's all the low-salt tables and the low-cholesterol tables? Peter says, hello, this is the best part, right? He says, you can eat as much as you like, whatever you like. You never get fat. You never get sick. This is heaven. <laughs> this old man, he loses it, man. He goes in a fit of rage. He's throwing things around. He's stomping on his hat. He's freaking wildly, right? And so Peter and his wife love him. They're trying to calm him down. And they ask him, what in the world's wrong with you? And the old man, he looks at his wife and says, this is all your fault. If it weren't for your stupid prunes and bran muffins, I could have been here 10 years ago. Why do we run from this truth? Are you kidding me? Woo! I get to heaven, we get new bodies, it's going to be... And it, it, listen, when you get to heaven, you can't be kicked out. It's awesome, man. It's going to it's secure us all. It's going to be... But listen, if you read 1 Corinthians 15, the great resurrection chapter, you take a look at the characteristics of these bodies that are going to be incredible. Listen to this. This is what we will never have to do with. Bang! The instant the rapture happens. You will never, listen, your body will never die. It will never rot. It won't decay. It will never break down. It won't even age. Isn't that incredible? Think of it. No, no more backaches. No more broken bones. No more diseases. Ladies, no more anti-aging things. Right? There's not going to be any more wrinkles. No more crinkles. No more age spots. Uh, none of that stuff. No more face to a tummy tuck. Life infection is out of existence. Why? Because our bodies are going to be imperishable. This scripture talks about there, which means no more will we ever have to live with this reality. Watch this. No more will you wake up and go to the breakfast table and you hear camp crackle and pop and discover you ain't eating cereal. That's you making that noise. No more will you go to bed realizing that you and your teeth don't sleep together anymore. No more will you wake up looking like your driving license picture. No more will you look for uh, an hour for your glasses before you realize you've been on your head the whole time. No more memory problems. No more memory problems. But this means wow, right? The ultimate benefit, listen to this, no more will you bend over to straighten out the wrinkles in your 
Why? Because the Bible says, listen, our bodies in heaven are going to be perfect. It's going to be awesome. And Adam says, why would you want to hear that news? I'm not making this up. This is the future that Christ has won for us. And then, the rest of the Bible, the surrounding God, I love that. We have the ultimate teenage vision. We've got the sizes of the covenant. And I see that in Scripture. We're going to take a look at this text. It's interesting. It's the first vision of chapter 2, verse 9. Listen, he told us a lot about heaven, but have you heard this? This vision is too nice. This is what the scriptures mean when they say, listen, no eye has seen, no ear has heard. You can't even imagine in your mind what God has prepared for those who love Him. I don't know about you, but I've got a great imagination. And, and God gives us a lot of details about heaven that is mind-blowing. But God basically saying, guys, listen, I ain't told you everything. You're, when you step into heaven, man, bang, the minute, oh, you're going to be blown away. But see, I'm a guy. I've got to try to figure things out. So look, it's got to be. I'm not going to say that's what the Lord But remember, we lose this thing yesterday when we were rapture. And we have these things that are And it's going to be awesome. And so, so what if God just took our five senses without limitation and changed them into heaven? What kind of heaven would it be? Well, my Bible said it sounds simple. It, it goes something like this. Like this.
we're going to take a look at what is heaven going to be like, okay, uh, from a scientific point of view. Let's take a look here. Bible you're reading. I'm going to heaven. One day, all that 
And that's what Jesus is one for. So that's just the, the beginning part. The second thing that it reminds me is, listen, folks, I am going uh, to heaven. And I'm going to the millennium after that. You see, when we get raptured, we don't stay in heaven. A lot of people are arguing with the Lord. That's not what you're going to be doing, right? Number one. Number two, we don't stay in it. While the earth is going in seven years of God's wrath, woohoo, we're up there with Jesus Christ, but we come back with Him, Revelation 19, and what? We get to rule and reign with Him on a renovated planet in the millennial kingdom for a thousand years. We come back to the planet, you know, if you read the Bible. But unfortunately, a lot of people don't read the Bible, even in the church. They certainly don't study Bible prophecy, and they're not only ignorant of heaven, they're ignorant of this time frame called the Millennial Kingdom. And one of the cool things is, guess what? Satan gets shut up. Now, look at this. Revelation 20, 1 through 4, And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the keys to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil, or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. <laughs> Stop right there. i got to repeat this every time I come across this verse. How many angels did it take to bind Satan? Until the thousand years were ended. One of the neat things about the Millennial Kingdom is think about it, Satan's going to be bound. So think about and extrapolate from that. That means we're not there just with Jesus and Christ ruling and reigning uh, on the planet, okay? But Satan's bound. That means no more of this evil and suffering. He can't incite evil and all that. It's done for a thousand years. Last time I checked, that's kind of cool. That put a smile on your face. That's something to look forward to. Yeah, we got to deal with it now, but one day the message about prophecy is no more. You'll never have to deal with that ever again on that planet before, okay? But that's just the beginning. We keep looking at the characteristics of this time frame called the Millennial Kingdom, and it's incredible. Let me give you another reason why it's so phenomenal and something to look forward to. It's because it's going to be a righteous government. A righteous government. Now, stop right there. You're thinking, righteous government? That sounds like an oxymoron. Like, peaceful war, icy hot. Uh, what's going on with that? And, and, and rightly so, because the government gets bad rap because it's often messed up. But folks, the Bible's clear. When Jesus comes back, He is going to be in charge of the government. I didn't say that. Isaiah did, right? Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and what? Speaking of the millennial kingdom, Jesus Christ, rule and reign, the Messiah, is what? The government is going to be on whose shoulders? Jesus Christ. In fact, He's going to be called wonderful counselor. The Bible says when Jesus comes back, He's just Come back and I'll just build a house and you know try to fix things for you. No, he's going to be in charge of the government. He's going to be literally ruling and reigning in Jerusalem over the whole planet. Jesus Christ is going to be in charge of the government. And again, we, 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 we kind of downplay this because when you think of government, you don't think of Jesus in that way. The Bible is basically saying when Jesus Christ comes back, is what Isaiah says, he will be the global divine political ruler. That's what he's saying. But we sort of balk at that because the government's here. It's all messed up. And, and we tend to think of Jesus as, you know, the, the, the lamb who is slain for our sins, and rightly so. We think of him as the lion of the tribe of Judah who defeats our enemies, and rightly so. But the Bible says, listen, when he comes back, he's going to be in charge of the government. It's amazing. Which, if you extrapolate that, there's all kinds of things we will never, ever, ever have to deal with on planet Earth like we deal with today. There's 
of all, we know that politics is messed up because look at the word itself. Have you thought about this? It comes from two words, meaning calling, meaning many, and church, blood sucking people. Right? Have you thought about that? Am I the only one that thought about that word definition there? Right? But it gets a bad rap because politicians and government is messed up, right? We're doing stuff right now in our lives with the election, right? But when Jesus comes back, he's not just going to rule the government. The Bible says it's going to be absolutely wonderful. It's the Hebrew word there, pole, and it means, listen, wonderful, astonishing, extraordinary, literally a marvel. And so it isn't just Jesus in charge of the government. It's going to be, listen, according to the Bible, the most wonderful, astounding, extraordinary, marvelous government you could ever imagine. Why? Because Jesus is the one who is not just wonderful, he's the wonderful counselor, which means he only ever tells the truth, unlike politicians today. And all the counsel he gives is only that which is right every single time, the best for the people, all the time. Unlike what we've got to deal with today. In fact, you'll never hear statements from the government in the middle kingdom like this. Do you remember the statement from Nixon? I am not a crook. Remember that? You liar. Right? Remember, remember Bush Sr.? Uh, read my lips. No news. That you liar. Remember in the Clinton administration? I do not have special relations with that woman. You liar. I think he said no. But even in the, the Obama years, I mean, we have the audacity to say, the fundamentals of the economy are strong. <laughs> you liar. Okay. In fact, no more folks. Will you uh, see Joe Biden waving thanks to these people? Not going to experience it, ma'am. Not going to experience it. In fact, no more are you going to see Hillary uh, Clinton driving these kind of trucks around. Right? In fact, uh, no more are you going to hear uh, uh, Bob Hope make statements like this. No more of that stuff in the Millennial Kingdom. Listen, that means keep going. Nobody in the Millennial Kingdom can bribe Jesus. You can't lobby against him. You can't make him do anything wrong. He only does that which is right in the government every single time, all the time. There's not going to be any, listen, unjust law ever. He's the wonderful counselor. His time in office will only be doing what's best for the people forever. It's amazing. No more, listen, elections. No more election campaigns. No more voting. Who's going to run against them? Nobody. No more hanging cabs. No more rigged election machines. No more mudsling political ads. No more government officials. Nobody can run against them. Nobody can match them. This whole new world order we're seeing unfold is going to be wrapped up by Jesus Christ. That's what we have to look forward to. The government is going to be on his side. I'm, I'm sorry. I just said to you. I, I don't know why. I just said to you. That's, that's not all. I was speaking one moment ago. Remember that? Okay. The, the next thing in the Millennium Kingdom, we keep reading out there all the way through. I'll tell you what you got. You keep reading. Keep your mouth shut. And folks, what that means is, you want to test all this? Keep your mouth shut. I'm not joking. God is going to revert back to what he did to Israel. Before, after the flood, God said in Genesis 9 that animals leave. They're going to go back to the plants like it was, and they're going to be crucified. You want to cut the head? 
Texas Raiders. John Dean, the governor, Isaiah 9. Here's the other thing, Isaiah 11. The wolf will live with the lamb. Er, stop right there. If you put a wolf and a lamb in the same tree, what would be happening? The lamb's got to But not in the millennial kingdom. It's all going to be at peace with one another. The, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, the young will lie down together, the lion will eat straw like an ox, the man not being vegetarian. The infant will play near the hole of a cobra. What? And the, and the child will put his hand into the viper's nest. What? They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the what? The earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The Bible says one of those amazing, this is something we have to look forward to. Listen, in the millennial kingdom, all wild animals will be tamed. And not just my personal family. We're talking all wild animals. It's going to be, quote, domesticated Africa. Even the leopard will be tamed as he will. Now, sometimes we have our doubts. Oh, that's great. That's what we're going to talk about. Yeah, that's what we're going to talk about. And I think sometimes in embracing mercy, we get this little sneak peek of what it's going to be like to once again be at peace with all nations. You bet it's going to come to us. Let me share just a couple of those examples with you. Like this. this is absolutely Thank you. 
resurrect the believers of the church and provide the leadership necessary to carry just society for all mankind once and for all. Quote, the greatest adventure we could ever imagine awaits us in the reality of the kingdom
we're coming back with him. It's going to be amazing. But he'll be there with him. The one who defeated death, hell, and the grave. He's coming back. He's going to be throwing us away. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The master of the universe. Right? In fact, I tell you what, folks. He is the ultimate king. One guy puts it this way about Jesus. He said, the Bible says that my king is a seven-year king. He's the king of the Jews, the king of Israel, the king of righteousness, the king of the ages, the king of heaven, the king of glory, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords. He's my king. Do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that's ever crossed the horizon of the world. He is God's son. He's the sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unique, unparalleled, and unprecedented. He's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in higher criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the miracle in age. He is, yes, he is, the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. Do you know him? He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and tried. He sympathizes. He saves. He sustains. He guards. He guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the people. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the guilty. He beautifies the meek. Do you know him? My king is the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom, the doorway of deliverance, the pathway to peace, the roadway to righteousness, the highway to holiness, and the gateway to glory. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you, but he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off your hands. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Death couldn't handle him. The grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. That's my king. He's got the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Hallelujah. Do you know him?